Welcome back to License to Spiel. I'm Fat Hate. I'm Carl Wonders. And, oh boy, this week <laughs> we are talking about the 1967 film Casino Royale, which I texted you while I was watching this saying that I had more fun when I watched Octopussy twice. I don't, uh, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I was about to, I was about to ask you whether we could really call this a film, but it, it technically is, is a film. on film. <laughs> yeah. It was released in theaters. It was. It made money somehow. Yeah, it was released in 1967, like you said. It was the same year that uh, the uh, real, so to speak, <laughs> what we call the real <laughs> Bond movie, You Only Live Twice, came out. Uh, it actually made a lot of money, I think, too, relatively speaking. Which one's more racist, this one or You Only Live Twice? Ooh. You know, I'm going to give the nod to this one simply when the... Native Americans jump out of the plane and erect the teepee and start dancing. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, so I just need to mention this to, from the get-go. So this movie was directed by no fewer than five people, and actually six, because <laughs> the sixth one is uncredited. So, and it's the screenplay is attributed to three people, and... Ian Fleming is mentioned as the as suggested by the novel Casino Royale, which I don't think I've ever seen before as a credit. Um, and then there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uncredited writers on this film, according to IMDb, including Woody Allen, Peter Sellers, Billy Wilder of all people, Joseph Heller apparently of Catch Twenty Two fame. Yeah, I was gonna say, is that the guy who wrote Catch Twenty Two? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Unless it's a different Joseph Heller, but. Nope, that's him. Okay. Nope, that's okay, him. Okay, then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Terry Southern, who was involved in writing Dr. Strangelove. I've never actually seen Dr. Strangelove. Oh, wow. Okay. It's an old movie, so. Yeah, I was going to say, we're back in the 60s. Yeah. Of course I haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah, that helps explain why this movie has no coherent storyline. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It doesn't forgive it for that, but it does help explain it. And the closest thing I can think of to this movie... And this will sound like sacrilege because I really, a lot of people, especially around our age, really love this movie. It feels like a Monty Python movie in that there are these vignettes that happen throughout the film that sure. don't necessarily have anything to do with each other. It ends like a Monty Python movie for sure. Well, everything blows up and they're all dead. Yeah. 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 Like, they, like, didn't come up with a decent ending, so it just ends. Right. Which is just like every Monty Python movie. Uh, yeah. Monty Python movies are funnier. Yes. I'm not comparing the, the quality. I'm just saying that <laughs> this feels like a bad Monty Python movie. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you that. And it's certainly a bad movie. Yeah. Although, I mean, frustratingly, there are funny bits in here. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, I chuckled. I, I I did laugh a few times while watching this movie. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole bunch of other things that I'm like, this is supposed to be funny, but it's not. Right. And there were also a whole bunch of things I'm like, I'm sure they're telling a joke of some kind here, but I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, the opening of this movie that takes place inside this public urinal where... For some reason. So, for some reason. Well, it's so you can have the joke of Mathis going around and saying, let me show you my credentials, and making it look like he's showing him his genitalia when he's showing him his ID. Oh, that's... I did not catch... I didn't catch that. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, that's the entire opening of the movie. For some reason. We get a very long credit scene, and I will admit I've always been a fan of the tune. From this movie? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because it, I mean, it... It's pretty famous. 
yeah, it's pretty much, I guess it's the only good thing that came out of this movie. <laughs> well, that and, I mean, The Look of Love is a great song that was, for some reason, is from this movie, too. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. But not the song about the seven James Bonds, that... Seven James Bonds at Casino Royale They came to save the world and win the gal at Casino Royale Yeah, seven James Bonds at the Casino Royale. Royale. It's like, no. Yeah, no. I feel like the opening scene where we have the all the cars converging together mm-hmm. is supposed to be funny, but like... If they were all... I don't know. It wasn't as funny as it could have been. Well, I mean, I thought it was funnier that they were stuck behind all these sheep. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what was the one car that was there that they all... Like, why was there one car already there that didn't have anyone in it that they all got into? Like, where did that car come from? (laughs) Because they're doing spy stuff. I... I guess? And, like... M, who's played by John Huston, is just rambling on this nonsense about entrails and things that I can't tell. Is that like the, uh, you know, do you have a lighter? Do you have a match? I prefer a lighter shtick. Kind of like <laughs> some kind of code word that he's rambling on about. Who knows? We find out they're on their way to go see James Bond. And he has lions. He keeps lions. And the KGB guy says that he will that he will not be devoured by uh, symbols of monarchy. Yes. <laughs> That line did make me laugh. Yeah. Reference that reminds me a little bit of a uh, some moments in some of the Roger Moore movies where the lion jumps on the car and they play Born Free. <laughs> yes. Which, ironically, is a John Barry song. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote the score to that movie. Uh, that is funny. Go to this giant house and James Bond is there, played by David Niven, doing this weird exercise thing in a chair with a bellow thing on it that apparently is an exercise thing from the 1800s i think i believe it it looks like it he's wearing a turban he's wearing a turban that matches his dressing gown yep um m is wearing the most amazing red toupee i mean it doesn't look terrible actually i mean as far as toupees (laughs) go okay I sort of like this shtick here where Bond is calling them all out for all these weird gadgets that they have. And he, he at one time, he, he calls them joke shop spies, which I think is, it's cute. Mm-hmm. Hardly a, a description of that sexual acrobat who leaves a t- trail of beautiful dead women like blown roses behind him. You mean, um... You know very well who I mean. That bounder to whom you gave my name and number. My dear James, when you left us, we were a small service underfinanced, ludicrously ill-equipped. It was essential that your legend be maintained. Without a James Bond, 007, no one would have respected us. Him and his wretched gadgets. Well, we must make use of the weapons of our time. So I observe. You, Ransom, with your trick carnation that spits cyanide, you ought to be ashamed. Russians started it. And you, Smirnov, with a but an armory concealed in your grotesque boots. Listen to them t- tinkle. And you, Legrand, with different deadly poison in each of your fly buttons. And you, Em, with your flame and throwing fountain pens. Your 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 joke shop spies, gentlemen. This is around the, as we said. This is uh, you only live twice. So this is the time when. The Sean Connery gadgets were getting crazier and crazier. So this is post jetpack and yeah, you know, breathing tube and all that stuff. Yeah, but like, why would these people have gadgets on them when they went to see Bond anyway? Which is which makes it amusing. But yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, I like that. His flame throwing fountain pen that he then covers up with his coat. You know. <laughs> yeah, I did make a note later on that for all the failings of this movie, I appreciate that. David Niven is clearly committed to this part. Yeah. Like he has he has this affecting stammer that he does really well and he's he's clearly serious taking this as seriously as I guess he can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then later when he becomes the head of MI6 and he says, uh, there's no let me know if I stammer because there's no more time for that. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it actually works that way, but no. sure. Because I like this movie way better. I appreciate I mean this obviously isn't a reference because the movie I'm thinking of is from the eighties. 
this whole thing about there's this other guy named James Bond running around doing stuff because the real James Bond is old and retired. And I was, my note said, is he the Dread Pirate Roberts? Because it's basically <laughs> the same thing where he's, yeah. you know, we're just going to perpetuate the name. And ironically, this is before they did this yeah, for real. That's, that that <laughs> yeah. makes it a funnier parody now yeah. than it was when, it, when this movie came out. Right. Because <laughs> this was before they recast Bond and just kept going. So Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty good. This this opening bit is, I would argue, is some of the better material in this movie. It's, I mean, it's not great, but I wasn't to the point where I'm like, I want to give up on this movie yet. No, that was the next scene. Oh, when he goes to Scotland? Yeah. That's yeah. when I'm like, oh, I, well, I, I want to turn this off. Yeah. Like, in fact, I'm pretty sure I, the first time I tried to watch this movie, I turned it off at that point. Is it the part where he's in the bathtub with a 17-year-old? Yeah. Yeah. Like, was that ever funny? Maybe in 1967. I mean, do people in the 60s think that was funny? I anyway, we're jumping ahead. Yeah. So, M is trying to con M is trying to convince Bond to come back. Because someone is killing yeah, all the spies. Because someone is killing all the spies. And then first he's like, well, this is my time for Debussy. And he goes off and plays Claire de Lune, which is kind of funny. And they're debating what to do here. And I guess their solution is we're going to mortar James Bond's house. Because, of course, that's what they're going to do. It wasn't the house, it was the other building. The building where he plays Debussy. Oh. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because the sheet music all all falls on M, then. maybe Is that what killed him? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, how does M die here? I'm watching this scene now, and th there's no way M dies. No. <laughs> I mean, it's a funny gag that the explosion knocks his toupee off and everything. Yeah. Yeah, he gets hit with some sheet music, and you see him sort of walking away, stumbling, stumbling away. away before, yeah. Yeah, like, there's no way he died. But anyway. <laughs> I do like the shot of David Niven, like, covered in debris, just kind of looking back at the exploding building and looking yeah. annoyed. And now, I'm going to argue that this is intentional, the rear projection here of David Niven driving. I, I assume this is bad, <laughs> deliberate bad rear projection, because, yeah. It's bad. Yeah, because... Because, yes, at this point, every Bond... It had become a Bond staple. Mm -hmm. There was reprojection behind Bond when he was driving. Yeah. Uh, this bagpipe guy with the communications thing. I like the fishing rod with the communicator. Yeah, that's good. He reminds me of one of the guys that was in the castle in uh, The World Is Not Enough. <laughs> well, this reminds me of the castle in The yeah, World Is does, Not Enough. Yeah, it does, yeah. So I guess w w the, the setup is that Smersh, who is the villain in this movie, has set up one of their agents to pretend to be the widow of M. Yeah, and apparently Smersh is not, like, part of Russian intelligence in this movie. Nope. Because that's what, you know, they actually were. But, yeah, anyway. And, <laughs> and the only thing that's left of M is his toupee. We consider that a, a heirloom. A heirloom. <laughs> Just mildly amusing. Mildly amusing. It's the only amusing part of this entire section of the movie. Yeah. Uh, when the, the grouse are, are, come into season when a McTerry dies. Oh, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true, I, I do like that. Because <laughs> they have, apparently have this big elaborate funeral ritual, and that one of them is they go out in the grouse season, or they go out to hunt grouse, and Bond says the grouse aren't in season, and she says, when the, whenever a McTerry dies, the grouse come into season. <laughs> and the rest is just multiple women hitting on Bond for reasons. Yeah, also, so, like, they play up the Scottish thing, yeah. but, like, Bond is Scottish. He would, like, he wouldn't actually find the, the concept of eating haggis offensive. No. I mean, also, side note, haggis is, a, haggis is actually delicious. Is it? I've never had it. Yeah. I mean, it's basically just meatloaf. I mean... <laughs> Inside of a sheep stomach. Right. Yeah. All right, well, so I'm from central Pennsylvania where we eat pig stomach, too, so, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so this whole thing, Bond, there, yeah, Bond goes to take a bath, and there's a 17-year-old girl in the bath because she always tests the water for her father. And I, I do like the recurring jokes, like, M was a very different person yeah. in Whitehall. Yes, yes. But the rest of this is just yeah, un unnecessary. Oh yeah, they they yeah. replace his button with a homing device thing. Sure, because that's what you do. And so, what's the deal with them all passing out? I guess he just they can't drink. I guess like it's just odd. Yeah. 
Like, I could see if they weren't wanting to drug Bond to do something to him, but, like, everybody passes out. Yeah. I mean, even the bagpipe guys, and... I mean, is the joke that they're not really Scottish, so they can't hold their liquor the way Scots could? I I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I do like how Bond's leaving, and then he goes back and takes the decanter with him and just goes to bed. Yeah, everyone passes out dinner, and then he... (sighs) It... Yeah. Then we have... This contest? Yeah, what? (laughs) This is the first time of many in my notes I wrote, what is happening? I, I, I think this is the first time in my notes where I say, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, yeah, this... Alright, so, the lifting the shot put is a Scottish game. Yeah. They wouldn't do it inside. No, um, no. <laughs> And they certainly wouldn't toss them to each other. <laughs> no. I think they're cannonballs, actually. Yeah. Well, that's... Yeah, shot... Well, that's why it's called a shot put, I assume. The cannon shot. And, like, the fake widow has, like, this horn that she keeps playing over and over again more... I don't know. Every every yeah. time one of her men screws up... It gets shriller each time. She gets more... Shriller and shriller and more desperate and everything, and... And then she's overcome with love of Bond because he can actually pick up and throw the ball. Right. But the other girls, the other women know that there's a problem here and they uh, they stop her from following Bond. Yes. Also, yeah, there's no way he could have s- broken that stone while holding it in his other hand and not, you know, broken his wrist. Right. That's not how physics works. No. And then we go out and in, in my notes I say such good sport. You know, he's hunting this grouse, like... Okay, so this is clearly supposed to be a spoof on how they always find the ridiculously horrible... Ridiculously convoluted ways to kill Bond. Yes. And it's supposed to be funny. Mm-hmm. I recognize that it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. It's not. No. <laughs> and I feel like that's something that you could make funny. But, th- no, this is not funny. And I could see... And I'm sure we'll mention this movie many times today. I could see it in an Austin Powers one where they try to kill him in multiple convoluted ways. And through sheer luck and stupidity, he finds a way of not dying. Yes. But, I mean, instead, like, she goes out on the drain spout and somehow lands on the ground. And tells Warren's Bond about the button. So then he uses his suspenders to fling it. Like, oh, yeah, this whole thing. Right. Just, ah. Yeah. Because they have these remote-controlled drones that are supposed to look like grouse, even though they don't, that are going to come after him. And, yeah, and they're op- there's just They're operating so much... out of this VW bus thing. and <sighs> Yeah. And what once the Mimi, I believe, yeah, Mimi yeah, Mimi. was her name. Yeah. Once she saves him, she then acts as though she's dying to convince her to, him to kiss her, and then she goes off to join a convent yeah right (laughs) okay (laughs) this is what like this entire i realize the movie is not supposed to make sense but this movie really doesn't make sense no and i don't know if these are if this is like a reference to a movie i haven't seen because it's a movie that might have been known to people in the late 60s but yeah no that's what i feel like i feel like a bunch of these are jokes that i just don't understand yeah so now we have yet another convoluted way to kill Bond. Mm-hmm. A remote-controlled bomb on a milk truck. And there's also a car. Yeah. For some reason. And it's all modeled on the slot car race track. Yeah. And, of course, it goes awry, and the person in the car dies, and Bond survives. Of course. And then he enters, and I guess, what is now his office. Yep. Uh... And immediately kisses Money Penny because you know that's okay. That's okay, sure. And it's uh, and it's, it's actually, actually Money Money Penny's daughter. Yeah. Because that's better, I guess. I guess. And now we see the map of the world and all the agents who have been killed, and yep, they're not sure about Bond's nephew Jimmy Bond. Right now, this guy Hadley. Yep. I got a serious Nigel Small Fawcett vibe from him. Oh yeah. Which. Partly is just because we watched that last week. Yeah. But he kind of looks like Rowan Atkinson. Man, that was a, so much of a better movie than this. <laughs> and he's playing a role that I could see Rowan Atkinson playing. Yeah. But yeah, no, he, I could definitely see that. Yeah, it just struck me as weird. Yeah, we're not sure about Jimmy Bond. He's in the Caribbean. I, I do, yeah, he's 
Woody Allen, and I, yep. in general, don't like Woody Allen. Right. Um, yeah. And he's very Woody Allen. I've uh, I've I've never <laughs> liked him even before it became in vogue to not like Woody Allen for his various personal problems. It totally should have been in vogue to not like Woody Allen yeah, for his problems I for know. like thirty years. But yeah, I. I kind of do like the gag, though, where he climbs over the wall and lands right next to another firing squad. I mean, if Woody Allen had directed the scene where Bond was in the bathtub with a 17-year-old oh, girl, yeah. it would make much more sense. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. The the gag about, yes, bullets being his, you know. It, and... I, I like his line, though. He says he has a very low threshold of death. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm trying to think. There's, uh, it, it, it reminds me of, um, uh, from, uh, have you ever seen Harold and Kumar go to White Castle? Yes. Yeah. Uh, bullets, my only weakness. <laughs> yeah. How did you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's also a much better movie than this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although the sequels, uh, the less said, the better. Yeah. And here's where we're uh, setting up the AFSD. Yes. Because we have to not have our spies like women, I guess. Well, because that's apparent. Well, that's how all the spies died. So they get Money Penny to try out all these guys. Yeah. A little creepy. We end up with this guy, Cooper, I think is his name, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, he's James Bond 007 now. Yeah, we yeah we forgot to mention that every spy is getting their name changed to James Bond 007 now for reasons. Yeah, but yeah, Money Penny uh, definitely hits it off with Cooper. Yeah, probably because he has a Kama Sutra black belt. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we send Cooper off on a mission. We never see him again until the very end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but we do get the scene of him. Resisting all the women. Yep, we do. Um, I will say that, you know, we, we, we've spent many weeks talking about sexism in James Bond. I think this movie has more sexism in it than the entire franchise put together. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, I really need to see Cooper body slamming these women. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's where we, we meet Vesper Lynn, played by Ursula Andress. Yes, who obviously has previously been in... Bond films. Yes. She was in Dr. No. Uh, we get to hear her actual voice this time, though. We don't have yeah. Vicky Vanderzil. No offense to Ursula Andress, I can see why they dubbed her <laughs> for the movie. And that's, it's just very heavily accented. I'll just leave right. it at that. Um, she sounds more like Rosa Klebb to me than, <laughs> than Honey Rider. <laughs> kind of surprised Rosa Klebb isn't in this movie. Yeah, I mean, she they was... got Kronstein. Uh, we meet uh, Evelyn Tremble, played by uh, Peter Sellers here. Peter Sellers is good in this movie. Um, interestingly, <laughs> and I think the reason I like him is because he plays it straight. Mm -hmm. And he apparently, like, really, really tried to have them not make this movie a comedy. Like, he, he just wanted to be James Bond. <laughs> Which, okay, sure, but that wasn't the movie they were making. Well, he's, uh, he's one of the uncredited writers on the film. And I think I read that he rewrote a lot of the scenes that he's in to make it less jokey. Mm -hmm. And in some ways it's funnier because I think they're the best parts of the movie or his his story that we his see. His scenes are the only scenes that are actually, like, in any way resemble the book. Well, that's true, too. That helps. <laughs> but there was a lot of drama there. For, for instance, Peter Sellers and Orson Welles hated each other and mm -hmm. refused to be in the same room together. Yes. Yeah, so, like the scene where they play Baccarat was filmed on separate days. Yeah. So. Uh, and he ended up just leave, leaving abruptly partway through production. It's unsure whether he just quit or was fired or both. Yeah, that leads to some continuity problems in this movie. <laughs> there would have been continuity problems in this movie regardless. Additional continuity problems in this movie. <laughs> this movie is a mess. It is a mess. It really is. <laughs> It's exactly the kind of movie you'd get with five directors. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, this is where we get the look of love gets played here. The look of love so much just 
she's luring him somewhere. Now, was that is that song from this movie, or yeah. did, was it just like no, no, the song is I... from this movie. Okay, wow, yeah. How did we get two pieces of famous music out of this movie? I don't know. Well, because I mean, because Burt Bacharach was writing hits like that all the time, I guess back then. Because like it's not like people were. I mean, I assume this movie wasn't a blockbuster hit. I wouldn't think I so. I hope this no. movie wasn't a blockbuster <laughs> hit. <laughs> so I, I doubt, you know, lots of people went and saw this movie and were like, oh, that music. Right. But no, I mean, that that that's a pretty famous song, I would say, from this, mm-hmm. you know. Which is why in my note I said, how did it come from this movie? Yeah. This movie made $41.7 million. <sighs> it had a budget of 12, so it did really well, actually. I, I read somewhere, though, that this movie had a greater budget than all of the James Bond movies combined to that point. Ha! <laughs> I mean, it had a budget of 12 million, but it made 41, so it's still... I don't know, Hollywood could probably explain why that wasn't really a profit, but mm-hmm. it sounds like a profit to me. Like, I... Since Met, since MGM bought the rights to it, I'm honestly a little surprised that they still, like, sell this movie. Well, I was reading that actually this movie has garnered better uh, critical reviews now than it did when it came out. That, so, somebody that... said it was a hideous, zany disaster that was also a psychedelic, absurd masterpiece. I agree with the first part. I agree with the first part, yeah. <laughs> uh... So, because it has James Bond associated with it, it was it made it became the thirteenth highest grossing film in North America in nineteen sixty seven. Uh, adjusted for twenty twelve dollars, which is when this article was written, it made two hundred ninety one million dollars if you adjust for inflation. Damn. That. Um, my my, okay. f- my favorite comment was that Orson Welles attributed the success of this film to a marketing strategy that featured a naked, tattooed lady on the film's posters and print ads. Fair. Yeah. I'm actually looking at that poster right now. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's like, okay, but how many people... Okay, so a lot of people went to see this movie, mm-hmm. but how many people who then went to see it were satisfied with it? That's like, a great question. Like, there wasn't a Rotten Tomatoes in 1967. No, but I should say that according to my latest the, the latest update on rotten tomatoes this movie has a 26% fresh rating <laughs> which sounds about right so i mean for example to bring this back to star trek because i have to sure um star trek the motion picture mm-hmm. uh was the second highest grossing of the original star trek films after star trek 4 it made a lot of money mm-hmm. because it was you know the first Star Trek movie, and Star Trek had come back for the first time in ten years. Right. It also wasn't hugely popular. No. That's why I'm wondering. Like, this is the same sort of thing. Like, I wonder if the reason this was successful is, oh, it's, it's a James Bond spoof. That sounds fun. Let's go see it. And not, oh, I love this ridiculously terrible movie. Yeah. No, it, it, it could be that a lot of people, there were a lot of people that saw this film once. Yeah. And maybe didn't even finish it. Right. I mean, I have paid for tickets to a lot of terrible movies in my life. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that, depends on how you define success, but I wouldn't necessarily say that this movie's box office gross means that it was a, a successful movie. We have Peter Sellers, he's doing a good job as... As Evelyn here, or... Evelyn, yeah. Evelyn, yeah. Uh, and uh, I do like this room with the conversation pit. I love a good conversation pit. I'm a sucker for, like, 1960s, mid-century architecture design stuff like that. If I ever had the money to completely, like, re- uh, remodel <laughs> my house, I would absolutely put in a conversation pit. You would put pit. in a conversation pit in your house. Okay. Yeah. So, apparently she stole Nelson's column? Apparently. <laughs> that a reference to something? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Does it reference the uh, Duke of Wellington painting? Doctor <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's Evelyn in this movie. There is another something that I watched at one point where there was a ma- a man named with that name, and he pronounced it Evelyn. That's why I was getting confused. But yeah, you're right. He's Evelyn in this movie. Yeah. You, you get what's clearly. Something they use in Austin Powers with the rotating bed. It's the, do I make you horny bed? 
Oh, yeah. Right here. Yeah, baby, yeah. And then, <laughs> so, she just decides to shoot pictures and he dresses up like Hitler. Yeah, okay, that was definitely one of my what the fucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, like, what is happening? I don't know. <laughs> like, why? I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, unless you're doing the producers, Hitler's not funny. No. Uh, or you're making a, a downfall meme. Yeah, okay. Or Jojo Rabbit. I actually have not yet seen Jojo Rabbit. It's it's interesting. That's what I hear. Uh, he dresses up as Napoleon. I do like the gag where he's trying to get the thing out of his vest pocket, and he does the hand thing. Mm-hmm. Sonny Elba. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while there's a thing in here that makes me laugh. Uh, you know, but then he dresses up like an old Jewish guy. Like, why? Yep. I, I don't understand. Yeah, it, it's odd. There was no need for the dress-up part. No. Like, it, it... It has nothing... Just like so many other things in this movie, there's just there, and you don't know why. Well, and I apologize if I said this on, quote-unquote, on air, because I can't remember if I said it before after we hit record, but, you know, <laughs> this is this is a, a okay, not a great, and not even maybe good... But an okay 30-minute spoof that is somehow 131 minutes long. It's longer than some of the it's, actual yes. Bond movies. Yes. <sighs> yeah. I would skip, like, everything that happened in Germany. Yeah, that, that whole section movie. does not need to exist. <laughs> I mean, I do like this, you know, he goes down through the training area that's, like, classic Bond. Yeah. You see the guy karate chopping what's obviously styrofoam. And then weirdly karate chopped himself in the head, because that's funny. Is it, though? No. <laughs> yeah. Just... <sighs> this weird gag with his vest that they give him. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a whole spoof on the, yeah. the Q gadget. But I mean, at least, so I at least this makes sense as a spoof. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of it that's, that's just... Like, we see... So now David Niven decides to go and get his daughter that he had with Matahari and recruit her to be a spy. So, Matahari was a real person. Yeah. She was executed in 1917. Mm -hmm. So if his daughter that he had with Matahari yep. is alive in 1967, then she's got to be at least 50. Yep. She looks good for her age. She does. She weirdly hits on David Niven in this movie. A little bit. Um, but before that, we get a production number, because why not? <laughs> yeah like, this reminds me of something that they did in like temple of doom yeah like I, I also i feel like this was spoofing something oh it's got to be spoofing like all those busby berkeley things but why yeah because the movie wasn't long enough <laughs> there's a lot of this movie wasn't long enough so we did this in this movie too i mean this yeah. the, the dance sequence is like three minutes long there was no need for it no also, even though she never actually met him, she's, like, totally cool with him showing up, and she's happy that his, her father is there, even though, you know, he's been completely absent from her life. Right. But that doesn't matter. I guess. At one point, she refers to herself as the celestial virgin of the sacred altar, and then he says, figuratively speaking, of course, and she's like, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah. Whole, Appar yeah. Apparently she has more equipment than her mother ever had. I think that Which is a creepy, like, yeah. like kind of a Trumpian thing to say. A little bit. We then put her in a cab to take her to Berlin. West Berlin. Oh, that's okay then. I, I kind of laughed at that. Yeah. <laughs> but like, how does the cab get to West Berlin? Well, that, you're not supposed to ask that. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is pre-Chunnel, so... Uh... Yeah. Well, even beyond that, can you just drive through East Germany to get there? I don't think you could drive to west berlin in the 60s no because it's in the middle of east berlin or east germany yeah <laughs> right yeah you could own like they had a whole that's like that was the whole point of the berlin airlift yeah was, right right <laughs> yeah anyway but i suppose that's part of the joke yep but there she is pulling up in the cab who's the cab driver is played by bernard cribbins who people who watch doctor who will recognize as wolford mott yep so that's interesting uh this whole and section is just weird the weird, like, Escher house? Yeah, because she, she's going to a spy school that was set up. I mean, it was a dance academy or something that was turned into a spy school. And there's... A weird, like, a, robot dude. And there's a dead... And one of her mother's dead lovers is just sitting there. Yeah. Has been for the past 50 years. Yep. 
And they're like, we don't know if he's dead or not because he's always looked like that. Yeah. We see these weird, like, classrooms where they're doing cryptography and then they're a bunch of undercranked fighting going on. And why is this here? The, none of this matters. No. But we have an auction. Yeah. On the on the beha- on behalf of Lashif, and it's being run by Kronstein from, yeah. from Russia with Love. Yep. There's there's a funny gag that I'm probably just gonna splice in because I can't explain it well that involves there's there's all these different nationalities there to bid on the auction and they all have their own unique way of saying they're gonna bid. Like one we, we stand when we bid and we sit when we don't, and then the other one says we you know, the op- opposite and it's just Yeah. It's silly. And the British do a bit of everything of both yeah <laughs> are there any specific bidding instructions our instructions are that when we are sitting we are bidding when we are standing we are not bidding we'll do our bidding sitting down when we're standing up we're not bidding we stand we bid we no stand we no bid and uh, the british representatives well I, I don't know actually a sort of a bit of both i suppose really. <laughs> is that all right with you chaps <laughs> <laughs> Very well, gentlemen. Yeah. There's some oddities going on with this. Yes, it's that is mildly amusing. I will give it that. But right. like otherwise, this whole process is unnecessary. And and the bidding is just getting ludicrous. Where they're like ten thousand things of vodka, and then the the Japanese are saying so many tons of rice, and it, like what what is going on? Yeah, and when she switches the video feed to war, the soldiers all freak <laughs> out and take cover because they think that actual war is happening. Uh, I Again, I like the gag where we see the American and the Japanese getting on the phone and like yelling war orders, and they show the British guy, and he's like, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to make it home for dinner today. Yeah. Uh, there's this weird bit with the robot guy where she unplugs his battery, and he plugs it in the wrong way and runs around backwards. Yep. All right, so yeah, the then shenanigans ensue, and she yep. sprays people with a with a fire with a fire extinguisher, and then she gets out with the taxi driver, mm-hmm. who has a British flag on his back. Yep. Um because as you would. Do you understand why when she lifts the sewer grate, it blasts what's new pussy cat? I have no idea. Because that is clearly some kind of joke. It has to be. But God knows what. God, yeah. <laughs> So then the other thing, they get in the ta- they get in the cab-, cab, she says going going to London and he's, you know, happy about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and Kronstein runs after the cab shooting. And mm-hmm. a soldier just sort of walks up at him and looks at him like he's annoyed, like what are you doing? And yeah. doesn't like, you know, arrest him or stop him or anything. Yeah. Just looks at him like he's annoyed. Yep. What is that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because I feel like that's also a joke I don't get. Right. There's a lot of that in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then Kronstein phones Lashif, who is played by Orson Welles, because of course. That is an interesting phone that Orson Welles it, has. It, <laughs> yes. Actually, if you ever, if you've continued watching uh, The Prisoner, it's a similar phone that number two has on his desk. I have still only seen the first episode oh, okay. of The Prisoner. Um, and and then in pure James Bond villain fashion, he happens to have a switch that blows up the phone booth. Yes, naturally. And uh, then all these families start pouring over the border. Yeah, that's a nice little border. gag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then it blows a hole in the Berlin, in the Berlin wall, wall, so all these people rush through. Right. Oh, yeah, we find out that there's a mysterious Dr. Noah, which immediately made me think of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> that was a better James Bond spoof than this. Yes. So... Why does Evelyn punch the immigration guy? I don't know. Because then he gets yelled at for it. But again, I don't know why. Or I know yeah, why he gets yelled at. I don't know why he does and it. And what's the deal with this car wash? I don't... With these women, like, dominatrix women that are, like, kissing <laughs> the windows and stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't understand this at all. That this is, is so a good tagline weird. for this movie. Casino Royale. I don't understand <laughs> this at all. <laughs> Show title. Yeah. Uh... But I guess because he punched the immigration's officer, Sir James Bond, David Niven, is now concerned that Evelyn might not be who he claims he is. Which leads to one of my favorite lines, actually, in the movie, when he calls up Vesper. 
and says, mm-hmm. I'm concerned that Evelyn might be a double agent. And her response is, he has enough trouble being a single agent. <laughs> yeah, that's a good line. <laughs> yeah. So No, he's not a problem. <laughs> uh, James Bond climbs through a window of his hotel room. Or he's out in the balcony already. Okay, so they also do the gag where Bond calls Vesper. Oh, on yeah, the, yeah, yeah. On the on the watch on the video watch and she's naked so she's covering the screen and then she lifts her hand to end the call and he looks down but yep. that's not how video screens work no it would still be <laughs> on her face yeah yeah <laughs> and now we have miss good thighs good thighs which again yeah. is, is obviously a precursor to uh some character names from austin powers oh yeah no that, good thighs i'm good I'm, I, I'm i don't mind miss good thighs at all as no. a jokey name. Um, so, apparently, this scene actually injured Jacqueline Bissett, where she's holding the champagne bottle and Peter Sellers fires a blank, gun blank. Mm-hmm. And apparently he was really close to her when he did that, and it, like, just the powder burns and the shrapnel from the blank cap actually injured her. Oh. And that was, like, her first ever acting moment with Peter Sellers, and she was kind of freaked out to work with him since ever since then so peter sellers did not garner a great reputation on this movie no Uh, no he did not he had a habit of like just disappearing and doing all kinds of stuff that drove people crazy so i I, i'm i wouldn't be surprised if he did get fired yeah but also based on his behavior it wouldn't be surprising if he just walked off no no that's true yeah he he was a complicated guy yeah, uh, I kind of like the again his his stuff is probably the best stuff. Like I like this whole she puts she drugs his drink and he puts an antidote antidote pill in it. There's a line that makes me laugh when they get into bed and he says, "Um, could you move over a bit? You're lying on my loose change." <laughs> it's absurd. So it's, it's absurd, kind of but it's yeah. All right. So, but yeah, she he does get drugged. So, mm-hmm. but. He wakes up in time to go play Baccarat, but first, Lashif has to do a magic trick, yeah. which is just bizarre, but apparently that was Orson Welles insisted on doing this, yep. which I don't, it doesn't surprise me at all, knowing what I know of Orson Welles. Now, are you talking about the levitating the woman part, or the other part where he keeps doing, like, more and more weird stuff? All of it. Okay. <laughs> I love when the lights, like, start going psychedelic on him and on top of everything else. Yeah. Like, I also enjoy when Peter Sellers is, you know, is uh, checking in his 100,000 pounds. The guy at the at the counter wants his autograph when he finds out he's James Bond. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. Yes. That's a nice little spoof on the whole, you know, Bond shouldn't use his real name because everyone knows who Bond is. Right. No, I agree. <laughs> and it, this is bugging me. I know who that guy is and I can't place why I know that guy. The guy with the... The guy who asked for the autograph. Maybe he looks... Oh, no, 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 no. I think... No, I... He is in uh, the Pink Panther movies. Okay. I've never seen the Pink Panther movies. With with Peter Sellers. Yes, that would be Peter Sellers in those. Yeah. Uh, So, anyway. That has been bugging me since earlier when I watched the movie. (laughs) So, they go into the office of the guy who owns the casino, I guess. Mm -hmm. And he points out all the tigers, because yep. apparently that's a thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this tiger, yeah. Um, it's fine now. Right. But in a later scene, for no reason whatsoever, the tiger has an animated tongue that moves around. <laughs> yes. And there's no, there was no reason to do that. It doesn't, like, add to the plot or anything. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Anyway. Yeah. And does like no one else in the casino think it's odd that he's that Lashif <laughs> is wearing sunglasses? <laughs> Apparently not. I, I like the gag when Ursula Andress switches them out and he puts on those goofy little like we glasses with the things on them. He's like, "Don't think I didn't see that." Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you clearly didn't, or you wouldn't have put them on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with the flags and. <laughs> This magic trick that just builds and builds for no yeah. reason at all. 
And this is actually more or less out of the book where Bond mm-hmm. loses to Lashif and then eventually beats him. Yep. This is like the only part that, well, there's a little bit later, but that has anything to do with the book. Yeah. Okay. So then right after that, we get the freaking tongue in the tiger. Yep. And I, I do like that Peter Sellers just sort of looks at it like, what? Yeah. Because that was my reaction too. Right. What? Is what there is somebody that? in the tiger now? Like, that's a that's long, not a human that's tongue. That's not a human tongue. That's it's like, <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> that's not a human tongue. No, no it is absolutely title. not a human tongue. No, what I'm saying is that could also be the episode title. That's not a human tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Yeah. yeah, there's just... All of this is... So, yeah, Lashif abducts... Uh, Lashif... Yeah, Lashif abducts Vesper, which, again, right out of the book. Yep. Oh, well, first, first though, I, I do want to point out the, the line we were joking about earlier with, with Mathis. Police car will escort you from the hotel to the airport. Mr. Mathis. Yes? There's something you've been wanting me. Uh, you're a French police officer, and yet you have a Scots accent. Ah, it worries me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good line. I also, I do like. He's like, he he has the torment. <laughs> yeah. You uh, you wouldn't have by chance seen a young lady in a green dress, and he's like, would that be the lady with the black bag overhead being manhandled by two unsavory gentlemen? Yes. <laughs> He's like, oh, they went that way. And then we get a really weird scene, which the reason it's really weird is because this was a deliberate, it was an outtake. Yeah. Because Peter Sellers disappeared and they didn't get to make the rest of this scene. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's like, yeah, Grand Prix enthusiasts might be worried that I, that by the time it's take me to get, get into this Lotus Formula 3, but they don't realize that I'm faster in my Lotus Formula 3, which is like, what? And he like and mugs he, at the camera. Yeah. And then he drives away. And we don't see what happens because Peter Sellers wasn't around to, to shoot any other scene. No. And suddenly he's abducted. <laughs> yep. And he's, yeah, in a room in a basement, which again is out of the book. Yep. I yep. like the nod to the book. Like, you you mentioned this. Yeah. The, the carpet the, theater. Yeah, the chair with the hole. Don't worry about that chair with a hole in the middle. It's merely waiting to be reupholstered. <laughs> yes, that's a good gag. Yeah. Because instead of the torture from the book that they did, again, in the Daniel Craig movie, we are going to do some weird psychedelic mind games here that I think is another moment of my what is happening here. Uh, What is with the... He's like, are you Richard Burton? No, I'm Peter O'Toole. What is that? I don't know. Oh, then you're one of the best human beings that's ever lived. Or something like that. Yeah. There's just... Smirsch comes in and kills Lashif. Like it... Like like in the book. Yep. And then we think everything's wrapped up until... No, we still have another half an hour to go. God, why? <sighs> Nothing good happens in this next 30 minutes. No, and and I, earlier I drew parallels to Monty Python. Like, a freaking UFO comes on. It lands in the middle of London <laughs> out of nowhere. What, what the hell? Mm-hmm. This makes even less sense than those aliens in the life of Brian. <laughs> or them getting arrested at the end of Holy Grail. Yeah! Yeah. Just... Like, what? I do like the continuity that it's the same guys from the Scottish Castle, though. Yeah. Or the continuity that Mimi shows up as a nun. Yes, that was good, too. Yep. The only only continuity in this movie. Uh, Yeah, and we have a nice little spoof on the generic Bond layer, too. Yeah. Like, the little hovercraft thing that goes into the Bond layer. Yeah, so... Apparently, apparently Mata got a haircut. Yeah. And... Bond presses the thrill of the fight to go down. Right. Sorry, I had to make a I had to make that joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so instead of rising up to meet the challenge of his rival, he's sinking down into the ground to meet the challenge of his rival. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, we have a standard Bond lair here, but they they get trapped, but then they uh, execute. Tactic 33A, which is walk really fast and then <laughs> stuck down. Yeah. I don't think that would actually work. No, but again, I I like this. Yeah. Like, this is the kind of stuff I like. Okay. What's with the... They go into the the room, the the hallway with all the doors. Yeah. What's, why does it keep going back and forth between two hallways? An empty hallway with different colors and the one with them. 
I have what no is that? idea. Yeah. Anyway. Then they go from the one room to a smaller room. Yep. And no. there's apparently a Peter Sellers clone. Not Peter Sellers, a David, David Niven, Niven clone. clone. Yeah. And this is when he finds out that it the villain has been his nephew all along. Oh, yeah, because we need more Woody Allen. Who can't talk in the presence of his uncle because he's too scared of him. Yep. But he's created a dangerous disease that will kill all men over four foot six and make all women beautiful. Because, yeah. All right, he's not four foot six. I was going to say, I don't think Woody Allen is... I mean, he's short, but... But he's not not that that short, no. Four foot six is really short. Like... Four foot six is is very short. I, I I know like looking at Woody Allen and David Niven in this scene, he is not four foot six. No, he is not. No. <laughs> now I'm gonna look up how tall Woody Allen is. Five foot five. Okay. Yep. That makes much that, more. That sense. seems more right. Yeah. I like the gag of the invisible glass. Yes. And then it breaks. And then he the walks end. through it because he forgets it's there, and he has to like yeah. shake it off, and then he trips over his desk and does all his. Woody Allen crap. Woody Allen actually said he regrets being in this movie. I not I mean everyone should regret being in this movie. Mm-hmm. And we got a naked woman tied down. Cause of course. Yep. Uh this whole my only note was I think I said I really have no words for the last thirty minutes of this movie. Yeah. And the pill that turns someone into a walking atomic bomb? Yep. <sighs> yeah, I do like I'll unlock you, and then we'll run amok. Or if you're too tired, we'll walk amok. I like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we find out here that uh, he's going to replace all of the world leaders with robots. Cause sure. that's been part of the story all along. <laughs> yeah, there's... Yeah, just everything is bad. Yeah. Also, what's with the... They blow up the door with LSD? Yeah, something like that. Lysergic acid, that's LSD, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know where they got a giant pillowcase cushion thing full of LSD, but sure. Oh, you don't have one lying around? I don't, but... <laughs> now we get to watch Woody Allen hiccup for the next 20 minutes. Yeah. Like, this is... Part part of this is straight out of Bond, where everyone's running around the Bond villain lair that's blowing up. Yeah. And, alright, so then... The American reinforcements have arrived, and we just get a shot of cowboys riding through the desert. Yep. Oh, I should also point out that at one point they run into Frankenstein. Yeah, Frank- for some reason. Frankenstein is played by David Prowse, and this is his first ever movie role. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the the American reinforcements arrive, and it's a bunch of cowboys. Cooper and shows then... up. Cooper finally comes back. Yeah. But yeah, they, they like just cut to like random footage of cowboys out in the wild And there's West. seals fighting. There's seals fighting each other. I gotta talk about the goofy-ass music, too. Can we talk about the roulette table laughing gas thing? Yeah, that's that's a thing that happens. That like flies off into the air. <laughs> would it would it surprise you if I told you that this whole last sequence was directed by the head stuntman? <laughs> no, it would not. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it would surprise me if any. It it surprised me that there was anyone directing it. <laughs> There's a chimp wearing a wig. I like the random scene of the guy that's painting the women gold. Yeah! That's a nice little <laughs> spoof there. That is a good spoof, yeah. And then, yeah, the Native Americans show up in a plane in. that says 007 on the right. side. 
Well, uh, I like they, the I like how the dog that's like biting the one guy's butt has a 007 collar. Everyone's named John James Bond. Right. And the French show up, but uh, David David can't understand them, so that's I I, I like the guy. He's like Mared. Oh, it means <laughs> it means yeah yeah. No, that's John Pel Belmondo for no reason at all. Uh, people show up and start shooting ping pong balls at everybody. Yep. There's a Keystone Cops scene sequence that has uh, Charlie Chaplin's son in it. Yeah. And I admit, I lit I literally laughed out loud at. I've been framed. This gun shoots backwards. I just killed myself. Yes. Because <laughs> it came out of nowhere. I mean, that's George Raft doing his George Raft coin thing for no reason at all. And then, yep. yeah, then the, yeah, I shot myself. <laughs> yeah. My gun shoots backwards. <laughs> what? And the guitar bow and arrow things. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, the seal has 007 on its collar. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then the, the hotel blows up and they all die. Yeah. Because... And we have to have the song. The song that doesn't need lyrics, but it has them. Yeah. And we see Peter Sellers in... Scottish garb because he wasn't actually around to film this. Scene. Right. So they just kind of faked him in there. Yeah. And then we find out why everyone is playing a harp at the beginning during the credits. And that's That's the movie. Ugh. Ugh. That I'm probably never going to watch that again in my life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have seen it before. Mm -hmm. And I remembered hating it. I okay. didn't remember anything else. I apparently deliberately had forgotten everything. Uh, I'm hoping to do so again. Uh, <laughs> you just, ugh. That is not a good movie. No. I will say, though, because we plan to watch the Austin Powers movies, and mm -hmm. this makes them look like like high art. Yeah, well... Because they at least have a, have a plot. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I don't even know if I ever saw the third one. It's not great. No. It's better than this. There's also three Johnny English movies. There are three Johnny English movies. <laughs> Why? I, I mean, I think it's perfectly acceptable to have one Johnny English movie in the world. Yeah. I don't know if we need three of them. But hey, the second Johnny English movie has uh, McNulty from The Wire as the bad guy. <laughs> really? Yes. Okay. Oh, I just ruined it if you've never seen it, because I think he's like a double agent, and you don't find out he's the bad guy until the end. Oh, well. That's fine. Sorry for ruining Johnny English 2. <laughs> I, I, to be I, fair, Johnny English 2 ruins itself pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. What are we going to watch next week? We should decide No, that. we should figure that out. What kind of order are we... Now that we have seen everything that is even tenuously officially James Bond. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we should just leave it as they started to do towards the end there, or they have recently, you know, this license to spiel will return mm. and leave it a mystery. Uh, tune in next week and you'll find out what we'll yeah. watch next week. Indeed. Thank you so much for listening to us this week. If you would like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at podspiel, or you can send us an email at spielpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at listening to film. And you can find me on Twitter, at Tyrannicus. Alright, do you have anything else to say about Casino Royale? No, the less I have to say about this movie, the better. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> it was more fun talking about it than it was watching it. Well, I mean, that's been true for several of these that's movies. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh.
and knife We're fighting for our life Have no fear bond us here He's gonna save the world at Casino Royale 